Well, today is the uh, kind of the last of summer, and it's our last of our Table Talk series. And as Ian said at the beginning of the service, we're going to talk, uh, the title of our talk today is To Hell with the Devil. All right, so uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to bring uh, the, the concept of evil and, and s- the satanic and the demonic and just kind of talk about that a little bit today. If you have a question that you want our panel to answer, you can text in that question to the number that you see on the screen. They'd be happy to, to uh, answer that question. Those questions will be brought to me and then they'll answer those questions for you. Uh, but we're going to begin with a scripture. We always begin with a scripture and this scripture I think gives us hope and encouragement when we think about the evil that is around us in our world. Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 17 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Well, panel, you're going to be our experts today on this uh, very uh, easy topic, right? Okay, so um, there's a lot of fascination in our world with um, evil, with the devil, uh, all those kind of things. What are some examples of commonly held misconceptions, let's get those out of the way first, of evil that we have gleaned from maybe religion, from art, from movies, and just from human superstition. Uh, uh, Why don't we just go across the board here? We'll start with you, Jordan, okay? Okay, so some misconceptions that I thought of, you know, there's lots, um, but one would be uh, just about Satan himself, and I think in a lot of ways he gets too much credit um, and that is a misconception that everything is attributed to him, all things that happen that are bad. Um, and that's not to say that the world isn't set up in a way that, you know, sort of propels our wicked nature. But uh, I think he gets too much credit, credit because we have to re- remember that God is the only one who's omnipresent. So you can't say that, you know, the devil is tormenting some guy 4,000 miles away and he's also tormenting me. He doesn't have that capability. So I think it's important to kind of cut that misconception and that un- to understand that he has really a lot of limitations that we really need to keep in mind uh, so we don't hold him on a pedestal he doesn't deserve. Hey, we brought the top guns in here. Reverend Carl Wake, our theologian. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about uh, movies and when um, movies portray evil and the devil uh, always dark, uh, where we are seemingly uh, powerless against uh, the devil and all things evil. If you're going to look for evil, it's got to be dark, evil, and make you scared. Uh, whereas the truth is, evil comes in no matter how many different forms that sneak up on us, and we can't just be lulled into thinking, Oh, whatever's dark, that's, uh, that's not good. I- I'm safe because I'm in the light. All right. Hope. Um, 
from movies, from art, that kind of thing. There's, there's misconceptions that are either, I, I see it as either really scary, you know, like trying to, to terrorize you in movies or, or pictures, or it's the comic thing. Like it, it's kind of silly, oh, the devil made me do it, or you got the little angel on the shoulder and the devil on the shoulder, and they're kind of, you know, bashing each other back and forth, and, you know, you're kind of torn. But it, it's, it's, it's sort of just comic, like just ridiculous sort of, or else it's terrorizing. There's nothing in between there. Good. Liz? Yeah, to add on to the the comedy kind of action there, I have found, at least with my peers, that when you see on TV and, and movies this concept of the devil and evil that is really minimized, actually. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the show Lucifer, where the devil is actually like a successful businessman who's good-looking and kind of winning at life, and it, there's like this alluringness to evil concepts and that there's a minimization that it's dangerous at all. Right, right. And um, I'm going to go with Darth Vader. Oh, <laughs> I mean, kind of, you know, Star Wars and Darth Vader, and you know he's evil. And he's got the dark side of the Force, and then there's the, you know the Jedi Knights and the good side. And but you know it, it's it's great entertainment, and it, but it gets it actually all wrong because it kind of says that the dark side and the good side are in balance. Okay, but actually that's not what the Bible says at right. all. It's a bit you know what Jordan was saying. You know, you know. Satan is a is a defeated, created being, and evil is struggle. You know, evil is just holding on. It's being defeated by the cross of Jesus, and God is kind of you know winning the day. But yet, culture tries to get us to think that they're equal and opposite. But yeah. even not. sometimes, culture makes it look like that the the good forces are actually. Um, uh, kind of the underdogs. I think of like Lord of the Rings, you know, they're always fighting in the battle and they're just, you know, and, you know, someone has to come over the hill and save the day, you know, Gandalf on the white horse or whatever. You know, it's, it's always that last minute kind of thing. And there is that misconception of the balance of power that exists there. Um, <clears throat> let's contrast that with what the gospel says. And Jesus, he often encountered evil and demonic forces. How would you define evil based on the gospel accounts of Jesus' experience? Someone answer that? Get us started? Okay, Carl. I came up with a definition. um, That which opposes God and seeks to undermine and destroy all his creation with any means possible. It's the complete antithesis of good. And... uh, you, you asked us to look just in the Gospels and how he interacted. And the words used uh, to describe Satan, slanderer, the, acu- the tempter, the enemy, a murderer, father of lies. And if you go further in the Bible, the adversary, um, destroyer. And one that popped out at me, the accuser, like a prosecuting attorney coming and attacking us. And yet we have Jesus called the advocate. He comes as our defense lawyer, and no one can stand against our advocate. That's good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Someone else? One of the interesting um, times in, in the Gospels where we have uh, uh, you know, Jesus talking about Satan is actually he's talking to Peter. And, um, you know, Peter says something 
Jesus has said he's going to go to the cross, he's going to be killed, and, and Peter pulls him aside and says, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. Um, Jesus, you know, Peter had a different idea of how the Messiah was going to come, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, we have this picture from movies of possession and that kind of thing. Oh, you know, like something's overtaken. And here's Peter, and Jesus says, to him, hey, you're being a Satan. You're being an anti Christ right now because you're going in a direction that is not God's will. And I, I think that's what I see in the Gospels is, is that evil is, is, a, is the opposite of where Jesus is going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, good. Anybody else? What do you see from Jesus' uh, uh, interaction? In contrast to the, the media, whenever you know, Jesus dealt with the demonic forces, he just basically spoke to them and said, right, that's it, come out, you know, or shut up. You know, he was very matter-of-fact. He was absolutely clear in his authority. And they obeyed. They without question. In fact, in one example, they plead with him. <laughs> you know, don't, don't destroy, you know, like they're, they're panicking. Every, they know who he is and they panic. But he just deals with it like that, right? To him, it's not a big deal. It's not something hyper. But in the movies, it's a big deal with, you know, you need a crucifix and holy water and you need all kinds of stuff. And, you know, but Jesus just dealt with it as a day-to-day thing because he was absolutely confident in his authority. Yeah, and Jesus even, he, he handled the, the demonic in the same way as he handled all other sickness, right? He just rebuked, he just said, just, you know, be gone, and, and, it, and it was taken care of. It wasn't something, it wasn't a wrestling match that was, was there. So Now, <clears throat> interestingly, Paul, we're, we talked about Jesus. Now, Paul, in the scripture we read earlier, he talks about rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, he kind of has this network of evil forces, uh, geographic and all that kind of thing. What, who do you think he's talking about and how might we identify these forces in our world today? I've got something. Um, so the uh, young adults actually did a two-part series on uh, sort of supernatural um, theology in the Bible this summer. And we did touch on the powers and principalities. So you ask, who are they? So, uh, without going down too far of a rabbit hole, because it really is a rabbit hole in this one, uh, I think the easiest way to look into it is to look at the terms that Paul is using. So, powers, principalities, thrones, dominions, authorities, and so on. So, what he seems to be describing is geographical, political um, rule of some sort. And we know he makes a di- differentiation, as you read in Ephesians 6, that these rules and authorities and uh, uh, principalities are the ones in the heaven- heavenly realms. So we can't mistake them for simple, simply government bodies, right? Um, so where's, where's Paul getting this idea? Where is he getting this, this concept of these uh, geographically um, dominated, uh, dominating entities? Um, so I think a good spot to look at. There's a few examples, but Daniel 10 um, describes um, sort of where Paul is getting this idea from. Um, just the give you some context. Um, Daniel's been fasting and he's been praying to the Lord for some time, and then an angel finally comes through and says, "You know, Daniel, we've been hearing your prayers, but I was held up for 21 days by what he called the Prince of Persia." So one of these princes, the, the archon in Greek. Um, and so 
he describes this and he says, I've come through and able to, to talk to you and answer your prayers, but I had to leave Michael, you know, Archangel Michael that we might know him as, to deal with the Prince of Persia who kept us from answering your prayers and coming to you. Okay. So just looking at the base terminology, the word principality is the exact same term uh, in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, in the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament that Paul is using. So principality is the same as the prince of Persia, which is mentioned in Daniel 10, which describes geographical spiritual rulers over nations. Good, good answer, Jordan. Great. Would have, uh, just, uh, <laughs> to kind of wow. All maybe, right. Uh, you want to add something uh, in? An example from, sorry, Diane and I uh, grew up in Northern Ireland, right? So Northern Ireland is, you know, um, now is under a peace treaty. It's not actually a peace, but it's under a peace treaty. Mm. And uh, one of the things that is, you know, has been involved in churches there, there was, you know, the dominant, I would say, evil spiritual authority there was sectarianism. And it wasn't until the churches recognized they were complicit in this, that it had permeated the very culture. And that, the, you know, the, not just, you know, the Catholic Church and the different denominations, the Protestant churches were all against each other. It wasn't until they came to acknowledge that and repent of that and publicly declare that. And that, I mean, the, the most significant event that Diane and I were part of was the 1994 Global March for Jesus. And there was a, all the churches got together and we did a big march into the center of Belfast. And people stood up and, and publicly repented of this. And a few years later, they had the peace agreement in the politics. So it, there was a spiritual warfare before there was a outworking in, in, the, in the public domain, in the, the world domain. And I think any time you're looking at a pervasive cultural or uh, dominant mindset that affects uh, an area, or it could be a city or a country, it's probably got some force behind it, right? And that could be, like, I think, if this, you know, racism, it could be pornography, narcotics, all these things that are setting themselves up against God's kingdom and the advancement of his good are schemes that probably have a force behind them. So if you can think about, you know, think about Ottawa, think about other places around the world, you'll, you'll sense there's probably a named force behind that. There's a, there's a sense of bondage that comes with a lot of these ideologies that maybe have, you know, and even what we would consider good ideologies, ones that we have, we have, you know, like capitalism, you know, we live in a capitalist society and we see benefits of that, but at the same time, there's a, there's an, un, there's a, there's an undercurrent of greed with that that is so pervasive and, and you can, you, and only evil is there, right? And that I think is, is a good point. Yeah, Carl. You, uh, you asked uh, us to, uh, how might we identify these forces uh, in our world today? Uh, I'm not so worried about how it, the command structure is all set up. Uh, it's important, though. But um, it boils down to, just as you read, or we read in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 to 17, there's these weapons the complete armament that we can carry on warfare, we're also given spiritual gifts with the Holy Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to, uh, 8 to 11. And one of those gifts that's not resident in us but comes upon us in time of need 
is discerning of spirits, the evil spirits around us. We will know at the right time when we are being attacked. And if we cozy up close to Christ, we are going to know. If we step away, we're going to step away from his protection. But if we... uh, when I was in, uh, growing up as a, as a Christian, um, I, I took a course by Bill Gothard and he, um, uh, Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. Great, that too. <laughs> great stuff. And one of the illustrations that stuck with me is a simple umbrella. You don't get wet under the umbrella. You put the umbrella away, you're going to get wet. Keep, uh, keep following his commands, Jesus' commands you will stand against temptation. That's good. Thank you. Anybody else? I think um, in your, the scripture there, Ephesians 6, it, it uh, says, um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So I, I do really like this idea to understand that there is a force, there's forces, principalities, there's, there's things that are behind in the spirit realm, and everything is spiritual. Like, our whole life is spiritual. You can't separate, oh, this is my, you know, regular day-to-day life, and then this is my spiritual life. I am body, soul, and spirit. So all my life is spiritual. So there are these things happening in the spiritual side, but it's not flesh and blood. It's not people. People are not the enemy. So anytime I want to make a person the enemy or the culprit, I'm actually in the wrong there. Mm-hmm. The person may be affected by something. So, like, you know, Carl works in, in, in the, the uh, um, prison system, and I work with a lot of addicts and, and, and people who've had, you know, a lot of quite checkered pasts. The individuals themselves, if I make them the enemy and say, oh, they're evil, they're, you know, no, they're, they're just a human being that has been influenced just like I can be influenced. I can be influenced to be selfish and greedy and, you know, judgmental, and, and so can they. Um, so it's not, people are not our enemy, ever. No. I've got a couple questions here from uh, the congregation that are kind of, uh, kind of the same question, but uh, being specific in different ways. And they're, they're kind of asking the question about, you know, can, can certain things be a gateway? Can we be affected by forces of evil? Uh, for instance, one question here is, uh, if we, if we come in contact with a, a Satanist or a devil worshiper, uh, how, how, how do we respond to that? Another question, which is similar, is, can the TV screen, you know, can, can, can that entertainment, uh, can that be a gateway for the devil to get into us or to affect us? And, and so how, how, let's look at that broader question of are we at risk um, in our day-to-day world um, by the people we meet or the things we involve ourselves in? Maybe Liz, you want to start us out on that. I mean, my immediate response to that is uh, I think we're at risk, period, if you're alive. <laughs> um, and yes, with our technologies, with TV and screens and all sorts of different ways for, um, you know, these spiritual forces to influence us, yes, they're available to us. They are in, uh, around us, um, and people can influence, influence us. I think the key, though, is when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid of those influences. In fact, you have authority in the name of Jesus to be able to stand against those influences. Plus, I mean, uh, if we're sound, of sound of mind, we can make um, better choices in who we in who we allow to influence us as well. Um, and I think that's the case for everything in our life, not just TV or you know the Satanists down the street or whatever. 
Yeah, anybody else? Okay, Carl. Wish I had the verse. It's in the New Testament, Pastor Michael. Um, um, Specifically, anger can be um, a foothold uh, uh, for the devil. Mm -hmm. And um, I work in an institution which is full of angry, unforgiving people. And to, to try and sell the concept that you have to forgive those who wronged you, it just, just goes in one ear and out the other, and they don't give up their anger, and it's destroying them. I know that God is working in someone when they start forgiving yeah. yeah, so what you're saying That's is we're more, we're more at risk by our own, uh, our own disobedience or, or, or our own anger or those things within us. And that was concurrent with what Jesus said, right? It's not the things outside that, that will, um, will make, the, make us dirty. It's the things that come out of us, right? It's the stuff that's inside of us already. I think that fear that something from outside is going to grab hold of me, possess me just because I'm in the same room with it. Um, is wraps us up in, in, in a fear and, and minimizes the our identity and our security right. in Christ. No, and, and Jesus says nobody's going to snatch you from my hand. Yeah. Nobody's going to take you out. You know that that we are secure. But when we start thinking, oh, something could could take over me, uh, that's that's fear. And when fear comes in, uh, you know we're, we are susceptible to to, to things. So. Right. Another couple questions that have come in. That, go ahead. That thing about the Satanist thing. I think that's where the media has done a number on us and convinced us, like you used the example, that it's kind of the thing to be worried about, whereas what Hope's saying is, well, no, when you look at Scripture, you know, it's not that way at all, but you've got to have Scripture. Right? You've, got to, you've got to have that to know where you stand and then get yourself calibrated to what really is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's another couple questions that are, are similar. How can God be good if he continues to let evil, wars, genocide, etc., happen? And if God is all powerful, all good, and created everything, why is there evil and suffering? <laughs> you know that question's been around for thousands of years, and we've never really answered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is that is the question um, for many of us. Yeah, well, for the, the the existential question, you know, why why does evil exist? Yeah. Right. It'd be nice to pin it on God and just say, okay, God, just deal with it. You know, take it away. Um, I would just say he he can't take it away because, you know, we are born inherently sinful and against God. So if he was to snap his fingers and get rid of all the evil, then we would all be in that bucket as well. Um, So sort of where evil comes from, I think, is just, you know, a free will sort of question. But then the continuation of that is why does he let it continue is... Because he loves us and he wants us to, to remain and he wants to see people um, reach out to him and be saved by him. Um, so it's not an easy thing to answer, but it's, it has to do with that. Sounds like a great suggestion for a series of talks for you. Yeah, there you go, yeah. eh? Yeah. <laughs> but I would say just if you're worried about it, skip to the end of the book. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Good. Carl? Uh, Jesus taught uh, the uh, parable. Um, uh, the enemy sowing the tares or the weeds in the middle of the wheat and the workers are saying what are we going to do uh, we should just wipe out uh, we should just rip out the uh, the tares those evil weeds and uh, the farmer says no we can't do that we have to wait till the harvest and so yes evil exists it uh, 
it exists within our midst, it, it exists out there, you're waiting till the final uh, judgment, and it's coming. It's our part to decide. We have the free will to choose to follow him and not, uh, not give in to the evil. I love, I think that's the, I love what Carl was saying there. Uh, you know, we want to go rip out the, the things, and isn't that just the attitude? Oh, evil is bad. Well, let's destroy it. Let's, you know, let's, with force, with, with manipulation, with power, we want to take over and deal with evil. And God says, I do things by the way of love. I surrender. I go to the cross. I, I lay down my life. A totally different approach. Love is going to win over, but we want to eradicate evil. We're being just as violent as the evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Anything else on that? Carl. When you have a child and you, a young child who's playing with a very, very, very sharp knife, you don't go along, give me that, because you're going to slice fingers and it'll be a messy situation. You come in, you talk kindly, you replace it. Hey, would you like this? You got to know the child. You got to know what can uh, what can help you to make the exchange, and then you safely remove that. We can't be ripping things out from people because it'll destroy their lives. We need to be wise in how we do that. Um, okay, uh, let's let's move on. Most of us encounter the devil in the form of temptation. James one thirteen to fifteen says, "When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me." For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So how does temptation work in your life? And how have you found victory over temptation in your in your daily walk? Um, obviously not all the time, but um, how... what? How does temptation work for you, and how do you deal with it? There was a question here as well that came from um, the, the uh, congregation, which kind of goes along with this. How easy do you find rebuking the devil? Um, so that kind of fits in with that as well. So how do you deal with that very personal, um, let's move away from the, the geographic, the bigger picture of rulers and principalities. In your life, that concept of temptation and the choices that you make, how does that work out for you. Someone go ahead. I think uh, just for the question specifically, um, we're not necessarily called to rebuke the devil. Even uh, Michael, uh, Archangel Michael, um, when encountering Satan uh, in, the, in the, I think, Revelation, um, he doesn't dare rebuke Satan. He says, you know, let, let God do that. That's not my job, and it's not his job. It's not our job either, I don't think. Um, but from First Peter, you know, rather than rebuke, we resist Right? Be sober, be on the alert. Resist the devil who walks around like a roaring lion. So I think for the question. Good. Excellent. Someone else? I think with temptation, for myself personally, and what I've seen in the lives of working with a lot of, of addicts, um, people addicted to drugs, alcohol, that kind of thing, if you focus on the temptation, that's, that's where the focus is. If you know, You're trying to do it in your own strength. It's when we surrender and say, hey, I need some help. And I love the fact that this talks about it's desire that brings that. that is, I love to be able to say to people, you know your desires will someday change. And to give them the hope that, you know, God changes our desires. There will come a day when you're not going to want to drink anymore. 
And that is like, oh, no, I, I fight this every day. No, there will come a day, and I, I got lots of people around me that I know that I've watched them through the years, and they don't want to anymore. And in my life, personally, there are things that I used to do or think or feel. And I, I don't want those things anymore because God has changed my desires. And then it's easy because I don't want it. So, you know, if, <laughs> if someone can put jelly bellies in front of me or gummies and I don't want them, I don't like them. Yeah, put marshmallows but and chocolate put, there, there'll be a different thing. <laughs> dark chocolate with nuts there, I'm going to eat them all. So, you know, like, mm. but our desires, our desires can change, and, and God changes us from the inside out, and that's hopeful. Then it's not this constantly fighting temptation, oh, take the temptation away, take the temptation away. It's like, it's not even going to, I don't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. I have a desire for something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... And the question of dealing with it, right, and how easy to find it to deal with, because he says there are you know evil desires within you. There there are definitely weak points in my character, and I, you know, devil is well aware of those weak points, mm-hmm. um, and that's what tends to get played on. I mean, there's areas like you know where it's gummies or whatever that you know there's no desire, so therefore it's pretty hard for me to be tempted in that area because I don't have a desire. Right? Yeah. There's other areas where I do have a desire. And I find that, you know, if I'm stressed or tired, I can let, you know, the thought will come in. The thought itself isn't sin, but I'm like, eh, I start to get selfish and I start to, to dwell on it. And the scripture says, you know, when desire, you know, conceives, then it gives birth to sin. But there's a pregnancy period, right? <laughs> and it's that from the conception to the birth is when you've got to intervene, right? And you know, sometimes you can, you know, you know you've got a specific scripture because it's telling you to do something you know God says you shouldn't do. So if you can find the scripture and says, you know, well, this is, no, this is actually what the Bible says, I kind of try and pull that out. Um, sometimes it's just like there's generic scriptures, like, you know, um, you know, you know, you just re- you know, rebuke the devil or resist the devil, right? And he will flee and just, you claim something. Um, but you're trying to find something anchored in God's word to write my mind. Yeah. And then the other thing is, if you, because it's about your thoughts, if you try and overcome it by thinking it through, it never works. It's like saying, you know, don't think of a blue rabbit. Don't think of that blue rabbit. You know, mm-hmm. you can't not think of it, right? So actually to change your mind and just start thinking yeah. about something else. And I've also learned that in those areas where I am more weak, there's usually triggers. And, you know, it can be... You know, if, if it's availability of gummies, don't have gummies there, right? You know, don't try and do some practical things to not the have the triggers. Because right? yeah. that gives you more time to deal with it. And the final thing, I think, for me, which has been a big step forward, like, I mean, huge step forward, is bring it into the light. Reveal it, confess it, you know. And actually, I find that, uh, you know, sharing these issues with Diane, my, my wife, so like sharing with your spouse, which is your most intimate relationship, is actually the probably the most effective. Because if you're at that level of openness and truth, that pulls away any, you know, because the devil tries to use hidden things, right? Mm-hmm. But I find that to be probably the most effective area of confession, right? Yeah. And the, the combination of those things, using scripture, changing my mind, you know, thinking on something else, avoiding triggers and confession has been very helpful. And that's something you do in in community. Like you do it with people. You don't resist temptation on your own. Like if I'm sitting there with, you know, the chocolate 
nuts in front of me all by myself. It's a little bit different if there's a few other people and I say to them, you know, I really want those. Well, then, you know, they can, they can help me. But, yeah. Just to get back to, like, some more basics in that, because I really appreciate what you said, all, all of you so far. Um, for me, it's, it's ultimately it has to come back to who is God and do I know who God is? Um, because knowing who God is helps me to identify and be aware of the temptations that are actually in my life. Because often I've found myself succumbing to temptations when I've been kind of unaware of them in my life. And, and all of a sudden I'm realizing there's negative things in my life, like I'm being isolated. And, and it's probably because, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm falling short in some areas. So for me, it's always been um, really reminding myself and, and connecting with God and making sure I know who he is so I can be self-aware um, and God-aware of who he is so that I know what's opposing in my life. Um, but then something that you said, Ian, sparked my memory a lot in my 20s. Um, I, I did a lot of research on uh, thoughts and how they manipulate us, <laughs> to be honest. And the scripture that came to mind, and I don't remember where it is, but I think it's in 2 Corinthians 5.10 or 10.5 or something like that, where it says, um, capture every thought and bend it to the will yeah. of Christ. And that really taught me in my 20s to literally t- take every thought that is negative and not just um, uh, like take it out of my mind and say, be gone, but actually replace it with a thought that is of God um, and bend it towards what Christ would say um, to you. Like, so if I'm tempted for, I don't know, chocolate or whatever you know god says uh, i'm not you know don't be gluttonous or whatever so the idea of taking thoughts out and putting in who god is um really helped me carl you wrap this question up for us and then i have one more question for jordan (laughs) Jordan, i'll make it quick i want to hear what jordan has to say uh don't ever give in to the thought that oh Pastors, our leaders are perfect. They, uh, they just don't deal with temptation. Uh, my heavens, we're all in this together. And um, just when you think you've, you're doing well, you're about to fall. And that lots of scripture for that. Pride goes before a fall. Um, I was uh, just recently, we were in a conversation with about uh, uh, praying that uh, sat about um, Satan attacking families and destroying them. And, and I was thinking, okay, thankfully, um, I'm doing okay. I don't feel like I'm being attacked. And then within a day or two, it was last summer, I, um, it was very hot and muggy, and I had panic attacks. I hadn't had what I could call a panic attack. But I sat up in bed because I was thinking of, of uh, a certain image of uh, being trapped in a space that I didn't want to be in. And I got up. I, I, it was just circling around in my mind so fast. Uh, and it just, I thought, wow, I've never felt this. And it kept on going and going. And I've, uh, I came to a point there where I was thinking of a particular situation. And if I was trapped in there, it's if someone said, or if some power said, you'd have to deny Christ and we'll let you go, I said, I might even consider that. And I thought, man, that's a satanic attack. This is not right. And and I just didn't, and Wendy, just trying to get to bed, and, and I had to get up, change my thoughts, and, and walk around and try again. 
And I'm thought, this is real. This is right on me. And uh, the temptation to think that, no, it doesn't exist. He's out there. And uh, it's the scripture, um, the scripture coming back to it and uh, the thought that God's in there with me um, and helping me, even if I was trapped in a position, God's there. He's going to help me out. And that's where it's real for me. I, I deal with temptation all the time in scripture. Scripture helps all my heavens. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> Jordan, this question's for you. Or I'm giving it to you anyway, because I think you, I think you made the statement. So, uh, this is, uh, I think in response to something you said earlier. How did God create humans inherently evil if he is good? I think you used the words inherently evil, that we're inherently evil. Um, so, did he create Adam and Eve? Maybe it's a good place to start. Inherently evil, I'd say no. Um, but maybe, maybe a better way to phrase it would be we are inherently evil. We, we, we have a sinful nature um, because of sort of what happened in Genesis 3 and all that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if anyone can <laughs> extend on that. But. Well, I think, I, think you've got, I think you've got the key right there. The, the, the issue comes down to, in my mind, it comes down to free will. And God always gives free will. He always gives people the opportunity to, to, to love, to hate, to forgive, to resent. There's always that constant thing. And he gave free will to mankind right from the beginning. So Adam and Eve had free will. That God loved them. He put them in a garden. It was perfect, but they had free will. And they responded to temptation in a way that, that brought uh, evil into the world. That was the introduction of evil. That's how the Bible tells the story of how evil comes into the world. And then... In subsequent generations, we've all made choices like that. And we can see that, you know, any, every parent knows you don't have to teach your kid to do wrong or to do bad things, you know, to mouth off at you or whatever. Like, they're going to do that, right? There, there seems to be something within us. And I think it's not what God created, but God did create us with a free will. And that free will is the thing that God values very highly in his relationship. You see, God could end all evil and all hatred and all genocide and all wars. But in doing that, he would have to eradicate free will. He would have to take that away. And then how, could we, how can there be a relationship of love if there's no free will? And his relationship with us is based on love. So I hope that helps a little bit in answering that. Sorry to put you on the spot there, Jordan, but I thought I'd throw that at you. Anyway, can you uh, give our panel a great hand this morning? <laughs> that was good. Thank you. Let me just wrap up with a few thoughts and primarily some scriptures. We've talked about scripture today, but I, I want to wrap up with just kind of a summary here, and I think it's been well said already, but Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. We have confidence in our God. As, chil- as children of God, we have confidence in God's goodness and his, his sovereignty and that he is, like, like our panel said earlier, that there is coming a judgment day. Someone asked the question, I didn't give it to the panel, how do you end up going to hell? Well, how do you end up going to hell is you choose. You choose to disobey. And, and, and I'm not sure what hell actually is or how it all comes to be, but, but there is a clear picture. I am very certain that there will be a judgment day. 
You know, the Bible is very clear about that, that there will come a day where we stand before God, the sheep get separated from the goats. There's this, this concept, what did you choose? What did you do with what you had? Did you forgive? Did you love? Did you, did you, did you live righteously? Or did you choose a way that was, was harmful to others and, and, and a, a way of violence, a way of selfishness, a way of greed? Those are the choices that we make. But otherwise, we stand in, in, with God and he is the victor. We walk through life with that divine protection and with the promise that in the end, we stand victorious. <clears throat> now, on the flip side of that, 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Stay alert. Because watch out, your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't be stupid, in other, way, in other words. Like, like we, we know there's evil out there. Don't be deceived by it. But, you know, because you have God on your side, you don't need to be worried that you'll be deceived unless that's where your heart is drawn, that concept of desire that uh, the panel talked about. You've got to check your desires because that's the beginning of it. And that's where we, so we need to be alert. We need to beware. Um, <clears throat> and we have to understand that it comes in all forms. And we have to be careful of our own blind spots that we have. And then I think uh, Carl brought this point up when he talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But even beyond the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said he would send his Holy Spirit to us to live within us. And we walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Carl talked about that advocate, your lawyer, your your defense lawyer, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. So we take the hand of God through the Holy Spirit and we just walk and he will lead us in the right direction. Like a, like a father, we sing the song, Good, Good Father, you know, it, 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 God is like a father in that he sent the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I raised five kids, finally married off the last one last weekend. <laughs> but, you know, you, when, when my kids were little and you got to a dangerous situation, you reach out, you take their hand, and you guide them into a safe place across the street, through the crowd, right? You do, you do the thing that's safe. And we, ha- we have that promise that we have the Holy Spirit right with us every day. We hold the hand of God, and we walk with him, and we can, we can walk in assurance. No matter what's around us, no matter what evil forces might be at work, we can walk and we can be, um, we can be secure in the gift of eternal life that God has given us. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that we can walk in your truth, in the freedom of knowing that you care for us. And we pray, Lord God, that the truth of your strength and your power and your victory and your kingdom will be with us even today as we ponder these thoughts and this discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. Ian's going to come and close the service, and we'll look forward to seeing you out in the lobby.